This week's episode is brought to you by Dreams Aren't Real But These Songs Are, the new EP from Suburban Legends, my favorite band. It's chock full of amazing Disney covers such as DuckTales, Kiss the Girl, You've Got a Friend in Me, and much more. Get yours online today on iTunes or SuburbanLegends.com. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show, and now home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And how is everyone doing out there in podcast land? And I'm saying that like I'm expecting an answer when I know you can talk back. Yeah. But I, I won't was be able just to waiting. Hear you. I was like, well, Jeff, you got to be quiet so they'll respond, but I guess. Oh, wait, so let's, let's try that again. I'm going to say it, and then we'll be quiet, and we'll hopefully we'll respond. We'll have a conversation. All right, are you ready? How, how are okay. you guys doing? Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. What are you guys doing this weekend? Mm, that sounds good. That yeah, sounds, sounds, good. sounds like a lot of fun. No, I mean, no, we're, would, we're busy. It would have been nice to get an invitation, though. Oh, oh, you didn't invite George? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, oh man. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Ooh. I knew it. I knew it because you've got all the buttons. People are pandering to you. Oh, this this got really awkward. This got really, really awkward. I'm sorry about that, George. Uh, uh, you, you know, you know, what will make you feel better. I think. What a full episode dedicated to my book of the week. Um, yes, but we're not going to do that now. So why don't we oh. just do a history segment now? Oh, okay. It's time for Disney history. For eons, our planet has drifted as a spaceship through the universe, and for a brief moment, we have been its passengers. And thus begins one of the best attractions ever made. And of course, I'm talking about Spaceship Earth, one of my favorite attractions. Now, mm -hmm. Spaceship Earth is probably the most iconic structure at Epcot, and arguably, uh, in my opinion, besides the various castles, uh, what people think of the most when they think of the word Disney. So, you mean not a giant tree? No, not a giant tree. Uh, as much as I would like it to be, or a giant golf ball for that matter. matter. Gotcha. So, it, Spaceship Earth, 18-story uh, geodesic sphere, it takes guests on a 15-minute ride through time to show the advancements of human communication. And I know it sounds boring saying it out loud, but it's an awesome ride. It is. It's amazing. So, okay. Well, geometrically, Spaceship Earth is a derivative of a Pentacus dodecahedron. Uh, it's a, I love these words, it is a class 2 frequency 16 icosahedron with each of the 60 isosceles triangle faces divided into 16 smaller triangles. And a, a little technical note we wrote with a bit of fudging to make it rounder. Uh, each of those 960 flat panels is then subdivided into four triangles each of which is divided even further into three isosceles triangles to form each point. So, in theory, there are 11,520 total isosceles triangles 
performing 3,840 points. But the number is a little lower than that in reality because some of those triangles are missing, of course, due to the doors or structural supports. Spaceship Earth is a complete sphere supported by three pairs of legs. By the way, you're welcome and, for giving you all those mathematical yes. terms to do. Well, I thought you were going to come up and say nothing beats a great pair of legs. Oh, I could have said like, that. Nothing beats three pair of legs. Or three pairs of legs. Or five or pairs of legs. Like Ooh, a five-legged goat. That's true, like a five-legged mm. goat. So, technically speaking, Spaceship Earth is in fact two structural domes, and there are six legs supported on pile groups that are driven up to 160 feet into the ground. And those legs, they support a steel box-shaped ring at the spear's uh, perimeter. And the upper structural dome, it actually sits on this actual ring. And there's a grid of trussles inside the ring support that supports two uh, helical structures on the ride and of the show system itself. And then below that ring is a second dome, which is hung from the bottom of the ring, which completes the spear shape. And the ring of trussles form a table-like structure which separates the upper dome from the lower dome. And it's supported by and about three feet off of the structural domes is the, the cladding spear, which is a shiny uh, alcobon panels, I think it's called. I don't know, I'm mm -hmm. saying it wrong. A locobond. A locobond, there we go. The panels and also the drainage system is mounted on that. Now, the cladding itself was designed so that when it rains, no water pours off the side and onto the ground and onto people's heads, which is why you don't get wet when you walk underneath it in the rain. All the water is actually collected through these uh, little one-inch gaps in the facets into a gutter system, and it's finally channeled into the World Showcase Lagoon. So the structure was designed with the help of science fiction writer Ray Bradbury, love Ray Bradbury, who also helped write the original storyline for the attraction. And the term Spaceship Earth uh, was coined by Buckminster Fuller, who also developed the structural mathematics of the geodesic dome. Uh, construction took 26 months and 40,800 labor hours to build. Um, extending upwards from the table are quadruped structures, which support smaller beams, which form the shell of the steel skeleton. Uh, pipes stand the aluminum skin panels away from the skeleton and provide space for utilities. A small service cars parked in the interstitial space between the structural and cladding surfaces can carry a prone technician down the sides to access repair locations, which would not be me. Not would be not me either. I will pass. Thank you. Yeah. So the, the shop fabrication of the steel, which was done in uh, Tampa actually, was an early instance of computer-aided drafting and materials processing. And Spaceship Earth was originally sponsored by the Bell System from 1982 until 1984, when it was broken into smaller companies in 1984, and its parent company, AT&T, became an independent company. And AT&T sponsored Spaceship Earth from 1984 until 2004. And then from 2005 onwards, the German company Siemens has been the sponsor of Spaceship Earth. So, in October 1982, the attraction opened, with actor Lawrence Dobkin as the narrator, along with a very simple and quiet orchestral composition throughout the attraction. The theme of communication through the ages was presented in chronological order in settings populated with audio-animatronics figures. You move through the scenes that are basically still around today. Cavemen writing on walls, actors in a Greek theater, charioteers carry message from a Roman court, Jewish and Islamic scholars discuss texts, Michelangelo, overhead, paints the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Gutenberg mans his printing press, and so on. The apex of the ride has always been when the Omnimovers reach the very top of the sphere, allowing guests to see Spaceship Earth itself in the distance on the planetarium-like ceiling, along with projections of stars, planets, and the Milky Way. 
Now, in May 1986, the attraction was given a slight remodel. Uh, this second version of the attraction started off with the lighted tunnel entrance, which was uh, enhanced by the twinkling lights, and that was meant to kind of depict the stars. And news journalist Walter Cronkite became the new narrator, reading from a, uh, a newly updated script. And a new theme song called Tomorrow's Child was composed for the end of the attraction, which was redesigned with projected images of children on screens to help fit the theme of Tomorrow's Child. And, and this is probably the version that is most remembered by folks, and a lot of ways it really captured what Epcot Center stood for at that time, and it's, it's the Epcot that we miss. <sighs> okay, alright, I'm gonna keep going because I'm not gonna sing the song. I'm not gonna sing the song. I'm not gonna sing the song. Okay, are you gonna sing the so song? The, no, I'm not going to. It was okay. really kind of cruel of you to mention it twice. Sorry. Too. Sorry, sorry. It's okay. Go for three times. So okay. Well, the the attraction remained like this for eight years before it uh, closed again in August of 1994 to receive a major remodel to reflect the changing times. The third version of the attraction kept the lighted tunnel as it was in 1986 and maintained the majority of the scenes depicted in the beginning and the middle of the attraction. Three scenes toward the end of the attraction that showed a computer in a boy's bedroom of the 1980s, a woman's office of the 1980s, and a network operations center of the 1990s, they were all removed and replaced with one scene depicting a boy and girl using the internet to communicate between America and Asia. The internet, it'll never catch up. Nah, never. 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 So this time around, actor uh, Jeremy Irons became the narrator, and he was reading from another new script. And a new orchestral composition was composed for the beginning, middle, and end of the attraction. And the ending itself was completely redone, and they removed the, uh, the space station scene located in the attraction's planetarium, and uh, there was a replacement of the old projected image of Earth in the planetarium, and they put a new image there. And there was a replacement of the 1982 and 1986 ending scenes of the ride with miniature ar architectural structures and settings that were connected by color-changing fiber optic cables, and there was a ray of blinking lights, and it was supposed to represent electronic communication pathways, and it was just crazy. But uh, <laughs> I, I remember that a lot, and I miss that yes. a lot. So the attraction reopened on November 23rd, 1994, and this is often considered the second best version of the attraction. I guess it depends on what, on who you ask. I guess the, the Walter Cronkite and the Jeremy Irons one, those are the two that are people are always fighting over which one was the best. Yeah, we can we can debate over that later. Sure. Not, not in this show. Not this show, some other show. Oh, yeah, I didn't want people to get too excited, so. Uh, well, in celebration of the year 2000, I think everybody knows where this is going, a gigantic eyesore was added to the outside of Spaceship Earth in the form of a magic wand. The less said about it, the better. So we'll skip to the best part, where it was removed from the structure in 2007. Seven years longer than it should have been there. Yeah, no respect. So shortly after that, the attraction went down again for another remodel, and the attraction opened again with its fourth and the current version on February 15, 2008, with a new score composed by Bruce Broughton and new narration provided by actress Dame Judi Dench. Now, with the new Siemens sponsorship, many changes were made to the ride and the post-show area. And the ride itself received some new scenes, including the uh, Communica Weekly studio scene with the uh, the go-go booted scientist. Well, um, she's doing research for the show. She is doing tons of re That's where we get all our history segments from, from her. Yes, exactly. Uh, they made some modifications to some of the existing scenes. They put new costumes in, new lighting, new props. And there was a new interactive ending featuring the touchscreen in each ride vehicle and photos of people that, were t that are taken at the beginning of the ride, and then you can see yourself in the future. So... Despite all these changes, to me, Spaceship Earth still remains one of the best rides at Walt Disney World, and probably one of the best theme park attractions of all time, and I miss it. I can't wait to go on it again. That's true. They don't have that at Disneyland. They don't have it at Disneyland, unfortunately. No. 
Um, so we should take a trip. Don't laugh. You're, you're laughing <laughs> like you're anywhere close to Walt Disney World right now. Well, I'm closer than you are. Really? Can you get in your car and get there before I can get in my car and get to Disneyland? No. Didn't think so. doesn't count, does mm. it? Well, we're done recording, and I'm going to go on Indiana Jones after this. So <laughs> you take over for Book of the Week now, okay? Okay, bye. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Amber Earns Her Ears by Amber Sewell, released in 2013 and 210 pages. Uh, now, the subtitle of this book is My Secret Walt Disney World Cast Member Diary, which makes you think it's going to go down another avenue, but it doesn't. Not to give anything away, but still. Um, so, I think everybody, well, everybody knows Jeff and I. Everybody does. we world famous at this point in time. But there are many times that Jeff and I both receive review copies of books to review for this show and for the Disney review column at Mice Chat, which I think that's the greatest online review column. I would I would have we, to agree with that. Yes. Okay. Okay. So uh, you know, most of the time it's fairly easy for us to review a title, although we do run into issues on occasion. And one thing that we always want to do is to be honest and truthful in our reviews. And hopefully our cadets understand that we don't pixie coat things and we do take off our rose-colored mouse ears when the situation warrants it. And this is one of those titles in which we spent time in discussing how we should review it. Uh, Amber is a really good writer, and she's actually studying creative writing at the University of Knoxville at Tennessee. And it really shows in the book. And it, 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 sadly, it comes across, across in a cold and academic style when she writes. Um, and I know that most of this information was reprinted online and simply compiled into this book, which kind of makes me a little irritated that you're paying for content that's already online well, for free. Yeah, well, you know, I, I have experience with Amber. Her and I used to write for the same site together, and I remember reading, all, you know, at least the, the first half of the book for her first experience in the college program. I remember reading them as they came out, um, mm -hmm. you know, what was it, three, four years ago at this point. Um, and, and, but, I, you know, some, most of them were copy-paste jobs. Some of them were revised and expanded a little bit more. And Amber's super sweet. She's a very, very nice girl. I do enjoy her writing. And But I think this book is a perfect example of uh, the Disney college program not being for everyone. So basically this book is sort of like two diaries in one. The first section is, it's like a fresh out of high school type college program. Not really the college program. It was called something different. And she spends time down there. And it's really, she had a good time, but she tells she was nervous and really sad a lot of the time and, and depressed it being away from home and the Disney magic not being what she wanted. The second half of the book, it, second half of the book is an actual college program experience and she compares the two. Um, you know, it, it, it might be a good book for somebody who's thinking about the college program, but to me, even reading it halfway through, I felt like she didn't enjoy either one of her experiences and it sort of depressed me a little bit. And you know, I I did wonder how I would have reacted in the same situations, and it just seemed rather odd to me. You know, I've interacted with Amber online. As Jeff mentioned, she's a sweetheart. Book's really well written. A little cold. I just, I felt like, you know, maybe if you're looking for more information about the college program, this probably isn't the book you want to read. 
Yeah, like George said, this is probably one of the few times that I've heard that someone did not really enjoy their college experience, and they vocalized it very loudly, um, not once, but but twice. And unfortunately, it just it doesn't make for an interesting read. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's you know we've read a lot of Disney books, and we know a lot of Disney authors, and it and it hurts when you run across something that just didn't do as well as you wanted it to do, because we know she put her heart into it and she enjoyed the experience, but. You know, it, maybe she just wasn't, she was a little introvert, a little shy for the program, sort of what came across in her writing. But, you know, if you have an interest in learning more about the college program and uh, you want to see some different sides, you can definitely check it out. Um, Amber Earns Her Ears by Amber Sewell, published in 2013. What we liked, what we didn't like, he's in the booze, 60 Second Review. So this week for our 60-second review, which is going to be more of a normal 60-second review, is Monsters University. And right out of the gate, we want to say that this is Monsters without the possessive apostrophe S at the end. There is no apostrophe in Monsters. There is no, because the Monsters the way what we say, yeah, they're not possessive. No. Not at all. They not like at all. you, but they don't like you. Like, they're not going to call you all the time to see where you are yeah. and, and see what it everything. is. So. Anyway. But anyway... <laughs> So Disney just released a huge Blu-ray compilation, and I think the thing we need to get out of the way first is, yes, there are lots of extras and bonus features, and that is an awesome thing. Yes, I agree. So many extras that when I put the film in, I was like, (laughs) I watched the movie, and I was like, where are the extras? I'm kind of disappointed there's no extras on this disc, and then I realized there's a whole second disc filled with extras and then my little film nerd heart burst with joy because (laughs) i knew there was going to be a lot but yeah now that we talked about the extras first and they're all awesome and i love them um let's talk about the film a little bit yeah okay okay i figure as much so now most everybody who's alive knows that monsters university is a prequel of sorts and when we reviewed this on the disney review at mice chat jeff sort of made the mention that you know not prequels don't always do well and he was referring to one famous Galaxy Far, Far Away franchise. Star Wars prequels, <laughs> I don't like them. But, you know, everybody was a little bit worried, you know, would the characters work well? Would the universe, uh, Monsters Universe still hold up? And uh, you're going, you know, 10 years into the past or give or take. And it was a good movie. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. And there were some people who said they enjoyed it more than Monsters Incorporated. Um, mm-hmm. I happen to disagree with that, as I because I do enjoy Monsters Incorporated quite a bit. But I really did enjoy how this filled in the gaps between the gaps that we did not know existed. I think you said, George. Um, yeah. <laughs> of how they started and and uh, when they got to Monsters Incorporated. But I, I thought it was fantastic. I laughed almost all the way through. I thought it was it was wonderfully done, and it was great to see the story of them in college. Yeah, to see what everything is, as they mentioned in the art of Monsters U, they, you know, they use the college experience as a character in itself. Because even if you didn't go to college, you're familiar with college life. Yes. I mean, everybody's seen it on television. But to see these characters, you know, little, I mean, Mike Wazowski was actually really cute. And I mean, it's, it, as a little kid, it was like, how'd they do that? He's the same. Yeah. Just and even thought one. Sully himself was, um, yeah. you know, as college Sully, you could see how thin he was compared to like Monsters Incorporated and the hair was all crazy and all over the place. And I don't know. 
I really enjoyed it. I think Pixar really knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a gorgeous film. The humor was fantastic. The storyline was great. I do agree Monsters, Inc. I think was a better movie, but you had that great interaction with Sully and Boo. They really moved the film. And this film was all about Mike Wazowski and him wanting to be a scarer and finding his true path in life. Yeah, yeah. And that was wonderful. I really Absolutely think that's shifting the focus of the film onto Mike. That And they talk about that in the extras, too. I think that really they found the heart of the yeah. story for this one that way, and it really worked out really well for them. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, we talked about the features. The features came on their own Blu-ray. So these are all in high definition. They look great. They sound great. Um, not as good as the movies. But, but know, they're still fantastic still. to learn about yes, every are. facet of movie making that they have in there. Um, yeah, especially all the free food they get at Pixar. Yeah, I want free food all the time because that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we don't get free food at the Communicore Weekly Studios. I do no. have water. I have water here too, but I mean, I guess I'm paying for it technically. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't that's know. true. Regardless, I give this <laughs> Blu-ray two thumbs up and I say definitely buy it. Should we say like two horns up? Two monsters horns up. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> when Spaceship Earth opened in 1982, when you reached the apex of the Sabir itself, you could see Earth in the distance, much like you can today. And the scene also included a space station scene, and it came complete with astronauts, and they were located in the, the planetarium-like area there. But in the 1986 remodel, the space station was removed. However, the astronauts themselves from that scene, they wound up in Space Mountain's post-show, where they were used until 2009 when that ride was redone. So that's really interesting since we don't really know where the astronauts were. I decided I took that special car up to the top of Spaceship Earth and I'm looking to see if they're hidden somewhere. And I don't see them anywhere. I mean, yeah. that's, that's why I found that I'm calling on myself. It does, it does sound like you're there right now, live and yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, it's late in the evening, so the ride shut down. It's really kind of spooky. Oh, you probably shouldn't be I there then, that, George. You're probably breaking all sorts that, of laws. That, that caveman winked at me. Oh, you should probably get oh, out of there. Oh, gosh, I should. Okay, well, we need to head out then, guys. Well, well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to the show. Be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. Yep, and feel free to email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. Yep, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbach. And be sure to give us a call on the Communicore Weekly hotline at 424-785-4628. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. And for, Je for Jeff Heimbach, I'm George Taylor on top of Spaceship Earth. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Musical. <laughs>